Hi, welcome to BKC Talks. Uh, this is our first podcast. And uh, I'm Millie. And this is Greg. Um, so let's get right into it. Um, so when we turn on the news or we look at newsstands or click onto Twitter, uh, we're just confronted with, I guess, chaos. Um, what well, maybe not chaos, but certainly a pretty disordered political landscape. Um, so with the Chancellor, the Exchequer wrapped up in questions of tax evasion, we've got a PM who's officially committed a crime in office, and we've got people like Le Pen across the channel. Uh, how could you possibly predict political shifts when it feels like everything's just in flux? Mm-hmm. Now, thanks, Millie. And it's nice to have the podcast up and running. I've been meaning to do this for ages and ages, <laughs> so it's good to get the first one going. I mean, I think, I think you're right that for the vast majority of people, politics does just look chaotic all the time. But it's actually much more predictable than you might think. And the, the analogy I always use is a bit like when you take small children to a bowling alley. Yeah. So you put the buffers up on either side of the alley and the child kind of launches the ball down and it ricochets all over the place and it looks really chaotic and very difficult to predict where it's going to end up. But as long as you understand where those restraints are and what's politically possible in this, in this case, you can work out where things are actually going to end up. So it's not quite as, not quite as chaotic as it looks. And, and we've always managed to be able to, to combine that with a very kind of high level of political geekery, uh, to be able to identify how politics is going to evolve and, and, and what it's going to, what it's going to do to affect clients' commercial interests. And I remember one of the, one of the first projects that we did was around a, a really large scale public sector procurement project. And the client wanted to bid for this kind of 20 billion pound project. And one of the things that we noticed was that there was this kind of obscure select committee hearing somewhere. And the witnesses who were being asked about this project were kind of really trying to hold it beneath the waterline. Um, and that in itself wasn't really notable. But we took the time to look at these witnesses' CVs and their backgrounds. And it became apparent to us they were almost over-educated. And so it seemed like mid-ranking civil servants were kind of giving them the material they needed to ruin this project from the inside out. And then we could turn around to the client and say, even though the Prime Minister is publicly committed to this, it's it's probably going to fall through. And that's what ended up happening. So it's just being able to to spot those those little flags and then follow them up and then work out how they how they can be applied. Wow. Um so we've heard about how you collate information. Um, so what can a client do with this? It sounds, as you said, professional geekery mm-hmm. and very academic. So does it have real world application? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, there's obviously a boff inside to it, but <laughs> there, we always seek to try to make sure that we can apply it in the real world. And the, the sorts of organisations that we work with use us for for one of three kind of quite practical purposes. So the first is around contracts. If they're bidding for a really big public sector contract, they'll want the kind of political analysis that we can provide, either to understand what their their client, the government, really wants, 
or to be able to appreciate where there's political risk in a particular country they want to start doing more business. So it's it's really kind of giving them, you know, military intelligence corps have a have a phrase around knowledge giving strength to the arm, and, and that's really what we're trying to do in those in those situations. The the second sort of client that we work with are ones that anticipate being affected by regulatory change. So they might not necessarily want to change what's going to come out of Westminster or Whitehall, but they want to know what's going down the track so they can either avoid it or, if necessary, lobby to inform it. But we don't really get involved in that side, but it's really just trying to help them understand what's going to happen. And then the the third group of clients that we work for are ones that are trying to make more informed investment decisions. So, for example, if there's an organisation with a couple hundred million pounds that wants to put it into the energy sector in the UK, they might come along to us and say, what are subsidies going to look like for renewables in six months' time or 12 months' time? Or how is the balance between fossil fuels and solar going to work out over the next three or four years? And there are lots of ways that we can find really strong indicators for how that's going to pan out so they can make their investments in the areas that are going to have the best returns. Oh, um, okay. So turning to predictions on some real world issues, mm-hmm. um, we're two months into war in the Ukraine. What happens next? Hmm. I think it's worth trying to look a little bit further ahead at some of the big strategic issues that are going to, going to evolve off the back of what's happening now in Ukraine. So, for example, within Europe, the dynamic between countries like France and Germany is we expect it to change quite significantly. So we've already seen this huge screeching U-turn in Germany where they've started to commit to investing very heavily in their domestic military. Mm. And up until now, a lot of France's offer to other EU member states was based on its exclusive seats at the table of permanent security council members in the UN. It's forced to frap. It's the fact that, it, that France is this major military power and really the only major military power left within the EU. If Germany equips itself to the extent that it can challenge France's assumption of that role, there's actually quite a limit on what the Elysee can do to persuade other EU members to follow its lead politically. So basically, it shifts the balance of power within the EU really quite significantly. And it it gives Germany another string to its bow on top of its economic preponderance within the bloc. So that's one one change that we see coming down the road. Um, Looking further afield, I'd also point out that the evolving relationship between China and Russia. I mean, our, our analysis is that Russia is ultimately going to become something tantamount to a client state of China's. It's really almost almost there already. Um, in terms of in terms of practical effects, I think you'll be able to measure when that's starting to happen when the Chinese turn around to Russia and really pressure them to engage meaningfully in peace negotiations in Ukraine. And it sounds terribly cynical to say, and it really is quite hard-nosed diplomacy, but we think that China are holding off doing that at the moment 
because they basically want to see Russia's military being depleted within Ukraine so they can become a more pliant, pliant state once they eventually turn around and say, it's time to call it a day and, and let's move on to the next stage. So you can start to look a bit further ahead, you know, above the, uh, above the conflict and its day-to-day uh, tensions, and you can start to think about how that's going to affect politics on the wider sphere. Wow, wow, this is so interesting. Thank you so much. Not at all. Uh, it's been a lovely first episode. So Hopefully hope the first to... of many. Yeah, definitely. Very Thank fun. you. Thanks for <laughs>